this is Brent White, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I preached the following message on November 26th, 2017 at Hampton United Methodist Church. It was Thanksgiving weekend, and I can't think of a more appropriate biblical text for Thanksgiving than the one that I'm preaching on today, which comes from Philippians chapter 4. Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. We have a hard time with rejoicing always. And as I say in this sermon, it's because we like to rejoice in our circumstances. So if we get the job that we want, we rejoice. If we get the promotion, we rejoice. If we, if we get married, we rejoice. If the tests come back negative, we rejoice. We rejoice in our circumstances. And that's why we have a hard time experiencing the kind of joy that Paul says that we Christians ought to experience. Instead, Paul says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. And if we rejoice in the Lord rather than our circumstances, we always have reasons to experience joy. Well, that's what this sermon is about, and I'm going to read the scripture right now. The scripture is Philippians 4, verses 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The family and I went to Snellville last Thursday on Thanksgiving to celebrate with my in-laws at their house. And after the meal, I watched some football, as I'm sure many of you did. And I I waited a sufficient amount of time um, before sneaking back into the spare bedroom and, uh, and taking a long nap. You know, I, I didn't want to be rude. I couldn't just like immediately go after, after our dinner, but uh, after a few minutes. Anyway, the point is, when I woke up, um, everyone in my family, uh, including my, my in-laws, they were no longer watching football. Instead, they were watching the Hallmark Channel. Do you know about the Hallmark Channel? And there, <laughs> Ray's like, yes. Uh, and uh, they, they were showing, believe it or not, they were showing a romantic comedy. Um, and maybe you've seen this one. It was the one where the man and the woman meet each other and they don't really like each other at first. They don't get along. 
But then over time, the two of them start to fall for one another and they kind of start to fall in love. But they don't they can't admit their love for one another because there's all these these obstacles that are preventing them from having a relationship until the very end of the movie. When at long last they say, I love you and they kiss and it's clear that it's going to be they're going to live happily ever after. Have you seen that one? (laughs) Actually, the one that we saw uh, on Thanksgiving, it was it was just like you've got mail. The Tom Hanks, except it was set at Christmas time. Oh, look, Kay knows what I'm talking about. Um, Okay, at the end of the movie, the woman gets literally everything her heart desires, including a big promotion at work, including the perfect Christmas gift, and best of all, including the man of her dreams. So, of course, she is deeply happy. She has reason to rejoice. Now, if she got passed over for that promotion... If she lost her job, if her Christmas wishes went unfulfilled, if she didn't end up with Romeo, well, she would not be rejoicing. And we viewers would also not be rejoicing because our ability to rejoice too often depends on how things turn out. We need the happily ever after or something reasonably close to it in order to experience joy. That's because we rejoice in our circumstances. When we get the promotion, when we fall in love, when our dreams come true, if the circumstances are bad, well, not so much. Yet notice Paul's words in verse four, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And as if that weren't clear enough, Paul repeats it again. I will say rejoice. Now, do you think that for Paul always really means always? Yes, it does. Now, let's be careful. Paul is Paul is not saying rejoice in really bad, evil, sinful things always. See, the bad is really bad. The evil is really evil. The sin is really sin. These are these are never the cause of our joy. The cause of our joy, the reason we can have joy, the reason we can rejoice is because we are In the Lord and nothing can separate us from the Lord. As Paul writes in Romans eight, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all of which Paul had experienced firsthand, by the way. No, Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So it's not the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, and all the other bad things that we rejoice in. 
Those are external circumstances, and they can change very quickly. No, we rejoice in the Lord, which means so long as we are in the Lord, we always have reason to rejoice, despite despite the very worst things that can happen to us. But still, I mean, I get it. Easier said than done, right? Even those of us who already know Christ likely find it difficult to rejoice always. The good news is that in verses 5 through 9, Paul actually gives us some helpful advice and guidance, commands on how to live out uh, this idea of rejoicing always. For example, let's look at what he says in verse 5. The first thing we need to do in order to rejoice in the Lord always, he says, is to remember that the Lord is at hand. Some translations might say the Lord is near. It means the same thing. It means two things. First, it means that Christ will come again. And when the second coming happens, all of those who are dead in Christ will be resurrected with new bodies into a new and transformed and redeemed world. We can't quite imagine what that world's going to be, but it's going to be good. And we can't quite imagine what our bodies are going to be, but they're going to be different and better. And they're going to last forever for those of us who are in Christ. This truth ought to change our perspective on any kind of short-term suffering that any of us can experience. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In the meantime... Before Christ returns, since the Lord is near, we know that when we die, we will immediately be transported into the presence of our Lord. And that's going to be really good. That's why Paul says earlier in this letter that dying is actually far better. The, the, the life that we have after we make that transition into death is actually far better than the life that we have now. To live is Christ and to die is gain because we will be immediately in the presence of the Lord, which is what we want, right? So we can imagine the very worst thing that could happen to any of us. I mean, I'd say that probably most of us would say the very worst thing that could happen to any of us is that we would die in a violent death of some kind. Okay, that's bad. That's evil. I'm not taking away from that. But the Lord has the power to transform even that into something good for those of us who are in Christ. Because for those of us who are in Christ, it means that we get what we most want want, which is to be with the Lord, to see the Lord face to face, as Paul says, in a way that we can't see him and experience him on this side of eternity. So God has the power to transform even the worst thing that can happen to us. That's one thing that Paul meant when he said the Lord is at hand. But he also means that the Lord is very close to us. 
that he stands ready to help us no matter what we're going through. Because of that, we don't need to be anxious about anything, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we let our requests be made known to God. So Paul is talking here about the importance and priority of prayer. Just last week, I read a troubling interview with a man named Bart Campolo. Some of you might recognize that last name. His father, Tony Campolo, who was a sociology professor at University of Pennsylvania and also a well-known evangelist and preacher. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, Bart is his son. And at one time, Bart had a successful career as a pastor and preacher and evangelist, just like his father. But... In an interview that he, he had last month, he described how he lost his Christian faith. He is now working, get this, he's working as a secular humanist chaplain. Apparently that's a job now um, at the University of Southern California. Um, but Campolo says that losing his faith was a process over many years, but it began when he was doing ministry among the urban poor, you know, in the inner city. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he found time and again that God was simply not answering his prayers. And so he said he began to call into question the doctrine of God's sovereignty, which means that God is ultimately in control of everything that happens. Um, He said, He said, it messed with my theology. I had a theology that said God could intervene and do stuff. But after a period of unanswered prayer, I had to change my understanding of God. Sovereignty had to get dialed down a bit until finally he began to question every doctrine of Christianity until he no longer was a Christian at all. Now, First of all, never mind that there are, you know, tens of thousands of other dedicated, committed Christian people who minister among the urban poor. And they would they would say they've had the opposite kind of experience with prayer. And they would cite instance after instance of God being faithful in answering their prayers. Uh, Never mind that part. What what troubled me even more were his words about God's sovereignty It was as if he was saying, if God is really in control of the universe, then he ought to intervene and do things for me. And if he doesn't intervene to do things for me in response to my prayer, well, then he's obviously not really in control or worse. He doesn't exist at all. Now, how how do we Christians respond to that? First, we recognize, as the Lord teaches us in the model prayer that he gave us, that our overriding concern in prayer and in our lives in general is that God's will be done and not our own will. That means if something comes to pass other than what we pray for, We can trust that God allowed it or enabled it for good reasons. 
that the ultimate outcome of not getting what we pray for will be better for us or for our neighbor or for the world or for God's kingdom or for God's purposes than if God had given us what we prayed for. Whether we can begin to grasp the potentially millions of reasons that God has for either granting or not granting our petitions in prayer is beside the point. And why should we be able to know what those reasons are? Who are we, finite and sinful people? Who are we that we should be able to discern, you know, what's best for our universe? To put it mildly, what do we know that God doesn't know? After all, from God's vantage point, which transcends time, Only God foreknows the the myriad and potentially eternal consequences of giving us what we pray for. In his wonderful book, um, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Pastor Tim Keller discusses chaos theory and the butterfly effect. This is is science. (laughs) He says that a butterfly flapping its wings in China would be magnified through a ripple effect so as to determine the path of a hurricane in the South Pacific. Yet no one would be able to calculate and predict the actual effects of the butterfly's flight. No one except God, that is. He writes, now, if even the effects of a butterfly's flight or the, or the roll of a ball down a hill are too complex to calculate, how much less could any human being look at the tragic, seemingly senseless death, for example, of a young person and have any idea what the effects in history will be? See, only God can know. Only God can keep track of all these consequences Keller goes on to say this. I've shared this before, but it bears repeating. When it comes to our prayer requests, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God will only give you what you ask for if you knew everything that he knows. Isn't that Awesome, I think so. Last week I talked about the, the um, importance of falling in love with Christ again. We, are, we as a church, we need to fall in love with Jesus again. We simply can't do this unless we learn to trust him again. Trust that he, that he knows what's best for us. Trust him so that when it comes to prayer uh, during those experiences in which God doesn't give us what we ask for, we can, we can say, I don't know what's best, God, but I believe that you do. I, I wish I weren't experiencing this, this difficult thing that's happening in my life. But at the same time, I also recognize that I, I don't know how to run the universe nearly as well as you do. So I'm just going to trust you. Another practical thing that we can do in order to rejoice in the Lord always 
is what Paul describes in verses 8 and 9. He says that we're supposed to think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. And to also think about things and put into practice things that the Philippians have learned from the Apostle Paul himself. Now, Paul, of course, has not been with us as a church the way he was with the the church at Philippi. We never had the benefit of having Paul right here in person talking to us, teaching us. But we have something better. Because we have so many of his letters collected in our New Testament. We have letters written by other apostles of Jesus. We have the four Gospels. And we have everything else that God has given us in his word. Needless to say, if we're going to obey what Paul says in verses 8 and 9, then that means we need to dedicate ourselves, dedicate our lives to, to reading and studying and meditating on God's word. If we do so, Paul tells us that the God of peace will be with us. And he tells us that um, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul says that God's peace surpasses all understanding, think of it this way. It's like you're in the midst of some kind of crisis and you're looking around, you're thinking, I I see no objective reason that I should be experiencing peace right now. I mean, all this bad stuff is happening. I just can't see it. But you know what? I don't have to be able to see it because I understand that the Lord has got this under control. The Lord is working all of this stuff for his good purposes. As Paul says in Romans 8:28, all things are working together for good for those who love Christ. And God's word also helps us because when we read it, we read about God's people through the millennia who were in not necessarily so different uh, circumstances from us who were facing difficult things. And 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 like us, they, they have no objective reason to be experiencing joy, but they trust in the Lord in spite of that. And guess what? The Lord does amazing things for them. We can, we can read their stories and we can be inspired by their stories. I mean, we're at that time of year very soon, starting next Sunday when we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus, the first coming of Christ. We're going to be looking ahead to Christmas during the season of Advent. And we think of Mary, for example. We think of that time when the, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced to her that she was going to give birth to God's son. And all of this amazing stuff is going to happen because she has been chosen by God to, to be the mother of Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds great to us, and we rightly just celebrate in, um, what, what she did. But think about how it must have been from her point of view when the angel came to her. Think of all the questions she must have had. She must have thought, who's going to believe me when I say that this angel came to me and that all of this stuff that's happening to me is, is a part of God's plan? And 
Yes, I'm pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who's going to believe that I didn't, you know, sleep around with somebody who wasn't my fiance, Joseph? And how is Joseph going to react? He knows that we haven't slept together. And I'm going to say, Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant uh, because of the, the power of God's spirit. And I'm going to be doing this and that. And, and he's going to believe me. I mean, how likely is that? He's going to think I cheated on him. Right. I mean. She must be worried about that. And and she must have been thinking, who am I to give birth to the Messiah, to the Son of God? This is an awesome responsibility, and I'm only 13 years old. I mean, think about that. How could she have imagined that she would be up to that awesome task? Have any of us faced circumstances in our own lives that compare to what Mary faced? I'm guessing the answer is no. Yet look at what God did in those circumstances. Don't tell me that that God can't transform our circumstances. Don't, Don't tell me that God can't work miracles through our circumstances. Don't tell me that losing our job or losing our health or losing our fortune or losing loved ones or losing the love of our life or losing the big game, tech fans and Alabama fans, or or any other bad thing that can happen to us. Don't tell me that this is the end of the world because who do we think God is? Who do we we think's really in control here? Needless to say, none of us will receive this message of encouragement if we leave God's word sitting on our shelf, collecting dust during the week. We need to be in God's word. So if we want to experience the peace of God and we want to be able to rejoice in all circumstances, Paul says that we have to use our minds. We have to think it through. We have to apply God's word to whatever present circumstances we're facing. Our problem is when we get in a crisis, we don't tend to do that. Instead, we let our emotions control us and our feelings of fear and anxiety. We let those things control us instead of thinking it through with our minds. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is going through a difficult time. We don't know exactly what he's going through. Um, We do know that He says, uh, tears have been my food. (laughs) So he's really been crying a lot. We know that his enemies are mocking him because it seems like from their point of view, God is nowhere to be found. He has all these reasons, he says, to be depressed. He doesn't use that word depressed. That's a modern, but he, he expresses the same sentiment. When he says to himself, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul to be cast down is to be depressed. Why are you in turmoil within me? Now, most Psalms that we read are like prayers to God and we are speaking to God. In this case, he does speak to God in this Psalm. But he's also mostly speaking to himself. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. He's he's speaking to his own soul. We need to follow his example and 
Instead of simply listening to our soul when it tells us all the reasons we have to be depressed, all the reasons we have to be without hope, all the reasons we have to be uh, downcast in our spirit, we need to instead talk to our soul and remind our soul of all the amazing things that our God has done for us in the past, of all the amazing things that God has done for God's people in the past that we read about in scripture, we need to remind ourselves of the doctrines that we hold fast to. We need to remind ourselves of what promises God makes for us in his word. This is not a matter of simply feeling, but we're thinking about it. We're meditating on it. We're talking to ourselves. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul, I have so many reasons to be happy. I have so many reasons to be thankful. I have so many reasons to praise you in spite of this thing that's happening right now. And that's what we need to learn to do. Paul makes clear in today's scripture that peace and joy come to us as gifts from God. But they don't happen automatically. They happen as we learn to turn to him in prayer and as we learn to turn to him in his word. We can't simply throw up our hands and say, God seems so far away when we're not making the effort to know God who is always closer to us than we are to ourselves, which we do through prayer and through reading and studying God's word. There is a a saying that is often attributed to John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist movement. But I think uh, Diane would agree with me when I say he probably didn't say this. I've also seen it attributed to Martin Luther, but whether they said it or someone else said it, it doesn't matter. It's a great saying. <laughs> and we, we can apply this principle to our lives. But it's, it's said that John Wesley or Martin Luther <laughs> said, um, um, I pray one hour every morning, except when I'm really busy. And then I pray too. Um, that's a pretty good principle for all of us. I pray every hour, I pray for an hour every morning, except when I'm really busy. And then I pray too. See, we think that when we're really busy, prayer and the study of God's word, those are optional extras, right? We, we've got work that needs to get done. We've got this, these deadlines to me. We've got this stuff. So we don't have time. Yes, it would be nice if I could pray this morning, if I could read the Bible, go to Brent's Bible study. But you know what? I'm too busy. But see, that's the wrong attitude. When, I mean, we, to, in order for us to cope with this busyness, we need to make a priority of prayer and, and Bible study. So I hope we will um, pray uh, that the Lord will empower us to do that. One word about tonight's service. Um, the Thanksgiving weekend is coming to an end. Uh, as I said earlier, though, we always have more than enough. Re- as, God, as Paul says in his word, we, in, in God's word, we always have more than enough reason to thank God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity this evening um, to do that. And here's what I'm asking you to think about um, between now and 630 when you come to the well for the service. I want you to think about one, one specific 
thing that God has done for you over this past year, one specific thing, and during the service, Matthew or me or someone in there is going to invite people to share a testimony. Now, when I say testimony, it could be one sentence. It could be a paragraph. It could be a couple of minutes. I don't know. That's up to you. But I want to invite you to do that. Now, now you're probably thinking, well, I'm not going to go tonight because I don't want to speak in front of anybody. No, no, no. That's not the point. If you don't want to share, that's fine. Come anyway. But I am inviting those who feel led to, to share uh, one thing that they're thankful for over this past year. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so don't be scared off. I want this to be a, a good thing, a fun thing. But, but come, uh, and, and we will worship and, and thank God together. Let's pray. Gracious God, indeed, we have so much to be thankful for. And um, help us to apply these challenging words in your, in your scripture today um, to our lives. Show us um, how we can live like Paul, um, that regardless of circumstances, we can always find reasons to rejoice, to be contented, and to know the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on Sunday morning, please know that you are invited to worship with us at Hampton United Methodist Church. We have two worship services. We have a nine o'clock acoustic contemporary service, and then we have a more traditional service at 11. We are right in downtown Hampton on West Main Street. Hope to see you there.